if God will ever remember me again. Uh, if you follow my daily but, I had a daily but, uh, I believe it was Thursday of this week, maybe a Friday. Uh, it probably was Friday. And, and we're going to talk about it in the sermon. But it was from Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And it said, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made the wind pass over the earth. The water subsided. When I read that verse and I did that daily but, I began to think about how great it is when God remembers. When God remembers the situation that I'm in, when God remembers the circumstances that I face, we know that God, that all things work together for good to those who are called by his purpose. We know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We know that God's got this. But sometimes God puts us into situations. He allows us and directs us to live into circumstances that make us feel like we're all alone in the world. Agony on me. We feel like that God gave us a lesson to learn and forgot us in the middle of the story. So many times in my life I have felt like that God has placed me someplace and forgot where he put me. Have you ever placed something somewhere and forgot where you put it? We had a wedding in Chicago this weekend, and following the wedding on Friday, yesterday afternoon at noon, we had a baby shower for my niece. Beth had went to Arizona, and her and her sisters had talked about the baby shower. She had brought decorations back that they had picked up, and we had a list of things that was our responsibility. One of them was a cupcake tower. Now, i got to be honest with you, I didn't know what a cupcake tower was, but any tower made of cupcakes made me sound, yes, I like that. And we went to Walmart a couple months ago, or several weeks ago, and bought a cupcake tower. But cupcake tower number one got left in a bag by the door so we wouldn't forget it on the trip. One day I decided to let Milo stay out of his crate while I ran to get somebody for about 30 minutes. When I come back, Milo thought there were already cupcakes on that tower because the dog ate the cupcake tower. Heard of the dog eating the homework. Well, the dog ate the cupcake tower. So we went and bought another cupcake tower. And we had to buy some cups and some other things. And I had them all with all the decorations. I had placed them so I knew where they were. We got to Chicago. Beth says, where's the cupcake tower? I said, it's in the back of the car. Michael, go get the cupcake tower. Michael comes back and says, there's no cupcake tower in the car. I said, yes, there is. I went out and dug through the car, and there was no cupcake tower. I said, well. When I got back to the room on Thursday night, 
I had been up for 21 hours. I'd woke up at 1.30 in the morning on Thursday morning, couldn't get back to sleep, drove to Chicago or to Rock, uh, Rock, what, Rockford, yeah, that's it, drove to Rockford and then found out that I was getting my hair cut in Chicago downtown. I didn't know that was two hours away and, and drove two hours to get my hair cut and then drove two hours back, finally got to the room. I just walked in the room and laid down. Michael unloaded the car, and I said, well, Michael must have unloaded the cupcake tower when he pulled everything else out of the car. We go back to the room. We look all the room, all over the room. There was no cupcake tower. I had bought that tower with a purpose. I had placed it so that I wouldn't forget it. But about 10 o'clock last night when we walked in the house, I looked over on the dining room table. There was a cupcake tower. In Chillicothe, Missouri, which is a fair distance from the baby shower in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes that's how we feel God treats us. He got us. He bought us. He's preparing us for his purpose, but we feel like he's laid us down and forgotten about us. But today I want to talk about what happens when God remembers. Open your Bibles with me this morning. Amen, amen, amen. Psalm 106, verse number 4. David writing, and he says this, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have towards your people. O visit me with your salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for your power. We thank you and we praise you for your your anointing, your mercy, and your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would send your victory, send your goodness, and send your peace into everything that we do, Lord. Allow your presence to fill this house. Lord, remember us. Remember us in your power. Remember us in your love. Remember us with your strength. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. David writing here in the psalm, he says, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have towards your people. O visit me with your salvation. Our cry that we have when we begin to think about when God remembers is, God, make sure when you remember that you remember me. You see, too many times we feel like that he remembers other people. I mean, he remembered you and got you a house. He remembered you and helped you find a place. He remembered you and gave you some slow healing in your leg. He's remembered. I bet you remember it too. I remember it. Anyway, we feel like sometimes that he remembers other people, but he doesn't remember us. We feel like that God has remembered this one and that one and the other one. But the truth is, he hasn't forgotten about us. It's just not our time yet. It's not our season yet. David here in this psalm, he says, oh, remember me, God. Remember me. If you go back and you look at this psalm, he's crying out. And he's saying, I want to go back and read just a little bit of this. He says, praise the Lord. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can neglect, declare his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and those who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, and, and the, with the favor you have towards your people. O oh, visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefits of your chosen one, that I may rejoice in, your, in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Here's what David was saying. He was saying, God, remember me. I know we've not always done it right. I know my forefathers have messed this up. I know that we've made bad decisions. I've known we've, we've went the wrong way. We follow the wrong things. We follow the wrong gods. But God, remember me with your favor. Remember me with your hope. I believe that we can all join together with David today and say, I have messed up. I have made mistakes, but God, I need you to reach out and remember what you saw in me. Remember the power. Remember the anointing. Remember the mercy. Remember the grace. Remember the blessing that you called me with. One of the things that we've been working on is our core values. And, and on the 21st, we're planning on having a, another town hall meeting and we're going to present to the church a whole long, I mean a long list of core values. A long list that we want to whittle down. We want to shave some off, combine some, bring it down to about 12 core value statements. One of the statements in that list is that we will remember what it was like when we first got saved. Now, I don't know if that's going to be in our final list. But can you remember what it was like when you first got saved? You remember when the power of God came in your life and you were on fire and you were fired up and you wanted everybody in the world to know who Jesus was and you wanted to glorify his name and you wanted to praise his name and you wanted to run the aisles and you wanted to shout and you wanted to jump. And, you... and then time happens. And pretty soon somebody said, oh, that fire will burn out soon enough. We speak into existence the deadness of the modern church. Till we get to the place that all we know is how to attend church, we don't have the fire anymore. We don't have the excitement anymore. The only thing we know is if that certain song plays, maybe I raise my hand, but we don't remember what it was like when we realized that we were lost and dying in sin and God reached out and pulled us out. But I'm telling you, we are here today saying, God, if I can't remember what it was like, Lord, remember what you saw in me and show me your power power again. Show me your mercy again. Show me your grace again. As I begin to think about when God remembers, I begin to realize that when God remembers, some, some things happen. When God remembers, things happen. The first thing that I see is that when God remembers, relief comes. 
When God remembers, relief comes. When you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you find that God said that he was sorry he had created mankind. And he had decided to destroy all of creation. Man, animals, creeping, crawling things. He was getting rid of all of it. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One translation says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I've preached this before. What Noah found had nothing to do with who Noah was. It is not that Noah earned it. It's not that Noah deserved it. It's that God said, I'm going to give Noah something that he didn't earn, he didn't have coming to him. I'm going to give him unmerited grace. When you look at the genealogy, and I've shared this before, Shane Kiliakoa, who used to attend here, now has moved to Texas, once researched out the the uh, uh, the, the genealogies uh, in in Genesis chapter five, and as he as he researched them out, he began to look at the meanings of each name. He began to look at the meanings of of every name, and let me pull it up here so I know it and can have it right. I know I've got it here somewhere. Where was it? No. In, in, in uh, had it and I lost it. In Genesis chapter 5, find the genealogy. That run from Adam to Noah. And, and the word Adam means man. And the word Seth, his son, means appointed. The one Enoch means mortal. The, one, the, the name Kenan means sorrow. The name Matthiel means the beloved God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lemic means despairing. And Noah means comfort. So if you read those names, by their meanings, it would say, man appointed mortal sorrow. The beloved God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring despairing. See, why did Noah find grace in the eyes of God? Because it was the plan of God. It wasn't something Noah earned. It was something that was planned before the creation of time. It was a picture of the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He says, I'm going to do something special. And he calls out to Noah and he says, I want you to build a boat. I want you to fill it up with animals. been around a bunch of animals in your lifetime my wife grew up on a farm there are times we'll go places and i go beth goes "Mm, farm fresh air like there ain't nothing fresh about that sweetheart ain't nothing fresh about that noah's on the boat 
The Bible says that it begins to rain. Now, we don't understand that. It had never rained a drop of rain out of the sky before, and all of a sudden, water begins to fall out of the sky. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. For 50 more days, they sat on the water, and they didn't know what to do, and things were going wrong, and things were... God saved us from the rain, but what are we doing now? We're going to live in this boat forever. Can you imagine Mrs. Noah? Told you we should have just stayed with my mother. Noah would be like, we had stayed with your mother. I'd have dumped out in the middle of the lake. I, you know, we, 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 we. My wife gave me a dirty look. Yeah. Mrs. Noah, oh, you brought me out here to live among these stinky animals. What's even worse than Mrs. Noah is Mrs. Ham. Read the Bible. Noah brought his sons and their wives. So that means Mrs. Ham and Mrs. Shem and Mrs. Japheth were yelling at their husband, and then they're coming to Noah going, wait a minute now. Now, Daddy, we come out here following you, and we we in trouble now. How long we going to live on this boat? Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. Then God remembered Noah. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made the wind pass over the earth and the waters subsided. I got news for you. You may feel like God has put you in the middle of a boat and you know it was for your own good. You know it was salvation. But now you've lived there long enough. You're saying, God, just let me get out and dog paddle for a little while. Let me get out of this. I feel trapped. I feel like everything that you sent to save me has closed in around me. But all of a sudden, you hear the word from heaven that says, Then God remembered you. God remembered where he put you. He remembered how he saved you. He remembered how he delivered you. And he calls the wind. He calls the wind to blow. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were gathered together in one mind and one accord, and suddenly there was a mighty sound of a mighty rushing wind from heaven, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and they saw, as it were, clothing tongues of fire that split apart and set upon each of them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Pastor, why do you bring everything back to Pentecost? Because when I'm out there and I feel like God has delivered me from death but left me in a boat somewhere down the road, God sends the wind of the Holy Ghost, and the waters begin to subside, and the trial begins to go away, and the challenges begin to disappear, and I can walk under the victory and the power that my relief is coming. My relief is at hand when God remembers relief comes I gotta move I should have done this too late I'm in this the next thing I see when God remembers promises 
are fulfilled. When God remembers, promises are fulfilled. When you come back and you begin to look in Genesis chapter 18, Abram sitting there and the angel of the Lord appears. Abram makes him dinner. The angel, angels that were there said, should we tell him what's going on? Should we tell him what's happening, what we're doing? They begin to say that Sodom and Gomorrah has come up as a stench. Nostril. Abram. Pastor, how could you say that? Anybody that will argue with God is stubborn. Some of you in here, you've argued. Some of you going, well, that's not true. I argue with God. Well, if the shoe fits, wear it, honey. Uh, when you start arguing with God, it proves you're stubborn. Abraham here says, "Oh Lord, would you just." Would you destroy the land if there was 50 that could be found? The Lord says, no, I, I would save it for 50. Would you destroy it for 30? I'd save it for 30. How about 20? How about 15? How about 10? Abraham started making deals with God. And the Bible says, in chapter 18, uh, verse, uh, let me read verse 30. It says, then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 would be found there. He said, I will not do it if there are 30. Verse 31, he said, and, and he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, "Let the Lord not let let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak about I will speak once more. Suppose ten could be found there." He said, "I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went on his way as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. I could preach a sermon there when it's time to return to your place. I'll I'll save that one. God made him a promise. If I can find 10, I won't destroy this. God understood not just the argument, Abraham, but the meaning of the argument. The reason Abraham was, was arguing was not just for Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was because his nephew lived there. Lot, his nephew, lived there. And he didn't want to see his nephew destroyed. Now, we know, I, I, I preached a sermon years and years ago called Your God, and I talk about the fact that, that Lot, the Bible says Abraham, Abram followed God and Lot followed Abram, and Abram never really had the same relationship with God. 
He would he looked to the wealth. He looked to what looked good instead of trusting God. He was always about following somebody else's faith. That's what's wrong with a lot of us in the church today. We don't know who God is, but we know who Ann's God is. We you don't know who God is, but you know the pastor's God. I got news for you. My God ain't gonna save you until my God becomes your God. The angels of the Lord go to Sodom and Gomorrah and they go to Lot's house. And the city gathers outside the door and the men of the city start crying out saying, Give us these men that have come to your house and we may have sex with them. And Lot does the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Lot opens up the door and steps outside, and what does he say to these evil men? Friends! See, there's the first problem. When you become friends with the devil, you begin to be tainted by your view. He says, friends, don't do this evil that is in your heart. But rather, I have two daughters that have never been with a man, and I will bring them, and you can do whatever you want to. Why in the world would he do that? Because he thought his job was to protect God. I got news for you. The last thing on this earth you need is a God that you have to protect. I want a God that can protect me. And when I have to start protecting God, then it's not the God I need to serve. The angel of the Lord reached out, grabbed him, pulled him in, caused all the men to be blind and said, grab your family and let's go. Get your sons, your son-in-laws, your daughter-in-laws. Let's go. Nobody would go but Lot and his wife. They begin to run away from the city. We all know the story. Lot's wife. I want. And every time anybody looked back at the clock, you'd see him spin back around, look at the front again. Genesis chapter 19, verse 29 says this. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. overthrow, And he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. When God remembers, God remembers his promises. The promises began to be fulfilled. I told Abram, I told Abraham that I would spare the city for 10. There wasn't 10 found, but I know his heart. His heart was that his nephew be saved. And because I, read that verse. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Lot. He remembered Abraham. Remember Lot, he remembered Abraham, so he delivered Lot. Oh, let me tell you something, Mama. Let me tell you something, Grandma, Grandpa, Daddy. 
get on your knees and start crying out to God because there's going to come a day when your kid, your grandkid, your niece, your nephew is in the middle of a battle. They're in the middle of a struggle and God is going to overthrow the area that they dwell in and all of a sudden they've got, they may not have the relationship with God yet, but if God will remember me, he will deliver my son. If he'll remember me, he'll deliver my loved one. I got news for you. They don't always have to have it right, but if we'll call out to God, when God remembers us, he begins to fulfill the promises. Oh, Train up a child in the way in which they shall go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. It may not look like that works. It may not look like it's happening that way, but you hold on to the fight. You hold on to the horns of the altar because in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the destruction, God's going to remember you, and he's going to fulfill the promise he's made in your life. You want to know why our churches are empty? We've quit, quit praying for the next generation. We've started making statements. They got to deal with it themselves. We have this arrogant idea that we found our way to Christ. I got news for you. The only reason you're here is because somebody grabbed a hold of the grabbed a, grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar and they crawled out your name and they cried to you and God remembered them and reached out to you. It's time we do the same for our family, our neighbors, our friends. When God remembers. Future is given. When God remembers, future is given. We know the story. Jacob has deceived his brother. Stole the birthright. Stole the blessing. And now as set out on the run to avert, avoid his brother Esau. On the way, he stops and lays his head on a rock, sees a vision of angels ascending and descending. And he makes a statement, you'll go with me, you'll direct me, you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. He goes on. He begins to go through a season in his life where other people deceive him like he wants to deceive others. He gets to Laban's house. He meets Rachel. Whee! Nice. Good looking. Rachel had a sister. Mmm. Not the same. I'll just say it this way. I got the pick of the litter in my wife. Careful. I, Rachel was, mm, she was, she was something. Babe, 
Jacob says, Laman, I, I, I want to marry Rachel. He says, all right, you work for seven years. Bible says, Jacob, like, not a problem. Bible says he worked for seven years, and it was like seven days. Every day he'd get up and go, ooh, Rachel, good looking. If he started getting tired, he'd look up at the house and see Rachel. Ooh, it's worth it. Seven years goes by. He goes to the wedding. Thought it was a little strange. They never took the veil off, but that's okay. I don't fully understand all their traditions. I don't know how this works. I know he woke up the next morning and said, Uh-oh. That's not what I thought that was. Sounds weird to us. Read the Bible. He goes to Laban and says, you tricked me. Laban says, well, it's not our custom for the younger daughter to marry first. But if you'll work seven minutes, I'll give you Rachel. The way I read the Bible, he gave Rachel immediately. But Jacob worked another year. Now, now, Jacob has two wives, pretty one and the other one. And the other one starts having babies. But the pretty one, God closed. There was jealousy between the two of them. Leah knew. I mean, Leah, I mean, her eyes may have been weak, but she could see. She knew she wasn't a good-looking one. She knew that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved her. She knew that she was second best, but every time she had a kid, she said, maybe now, maybe now my master will give me appreciation. Maybe now his love will come. Maybe now, oh, see, we we got a lot of people out there birthing spiritual babies thinking that's all it takes to get God to love you. God doesn't want you to love you just because you're birthing spiritual babies. He wants you to. He wants to love you because you love Him. He wants to love you because you're committed to Him. See, what are you talking about, spiritual babies? I'm talking about the people that think that the only way they can please God is by having a title or position in the church. I got news for you. You've got to have a title and a position on your knees before you can ever get a title or position in a church and have it mean anything. Man. All of a sudden, Exodus, excuse me, Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. And we find, it says, then God remembered. And God listened to her and opened her womb. Verse 23 says, and she conceived and bore a son. And said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph. Said, the Lord shall add to my Sometimes you feel like a good looking. You have no. You feel like. You're the one God chose, the one that God fought for. You understand God died for you, but you feel like there is no legacy coming after you. 
then God remembers you. And he opens up your eyes. See, son, not just but the son that's going to save the whole She did not just conceive another boy to be another tribe, but she conceived a boy that wound up being two tribes. She conceived the boy that was sold into slavery, that was beaten, that was bruised, that was forgotten in prison, but she gave birth to the boy that would wind up in the palace of Pharaoh and the boy that would save the nation of Israel. I've got news for you. Your future comes when God begins to remember you. He hasn't forgotten you. Hang on, Rachel. There's a baby coming. Hang on, Rachel. There's a new life coming. Hang on, Rachel. There's a legacy laid out for you. And he's going to call you and direct you. And what's going to come from you will rise up and save your family. God remembers the future is given. I've got one more. Oh, I got another. The last thing I said, God remembers on the way. In, we move into Exodus. Exodus starts off talking about the genealogy. Then there comes a place where it says, Verse 8, now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There arose a king over Egypt who didn't remember who Joseph was. Didn't remember what Joseph did for Egypt. He didn't know him. It, 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 things wasn't the same anymore. Now they began to make Israelites their slaves. Afraid that they would outgrow them and outpower them. The Egyptians enslaved Israel. Not by conquest. Not by military victory. But like frog in the kettle. You throw a frog in a kettle of boiling water, that frog will jump out of that, bowl of, that kettle of water. But if you throw a frog in a kettle of cool water and set it on the stove and begin to turn up the heat, that frog will backstroke in that water until he boils. Many, many years ago, I read a book by George Barna called Frog in the Kettle. He told that story, and he laid out a future of the church in which we had been put in a cool vat of water, and the devil just slowly the heat, and we sat inside the four walls of the church until we died. As I read that book, as a young teenager, I read that book. As I read that book, there were things in that book I thought, oh, that won't ever happen. Oh, those things have happened and went by the wayside. Some of the things that he listed in that book that I thought would never happen in the church world, 
not only have happened in the church world, but now we would think them be normal in the church world. I'll never forget one of the ones that blew my mind. He said that the time will come in America that the average person will have three different marriages. A marriage of their youth, a marriage that they will raise kids with, and a marriage in their later life. And I thought, that's crazy. Start looking around your friends. They have their young husband or their young wife. Then they get divorced, and then they get married again. They say married 15 or 20 years, and they had two or three kids. And then when the kids are gone, they get tired of that one, and they get a divorce. And then late in life, they get another one, and they marry again. Oh, now, now, now listen, some of you in this room fit that profile. Does that mean I think you're evil? No. That means that there was a time in my lifetime that I thought that was unusual. But now it's normal. It's normal. When the divorce rate in the church is as high as the divorce rate in the world, we got a problem, folks. When the pornography rate in the church is no different than the pornography rate in the world, we got a problem. I got news for you. Sometimes you feel like everybody's forgotten about us. The Bible says that they began to make them slaves. They forced them to work for them. Then they got afraid they'd grow too big, so they started killing the baby. Oh, can't go by here without, without talking about this. You realize how important killing the baby is, is to, to prophesy? Do you realize the connection? When God was going to send, when God was going to send Moses to deliver his people out of bondage of Egypt, what did Egypt do? Egypt killed the babies. When God sent his only son to deliver the world from sin, what did the leading power in the world at that time do? It killed babies. When God prepared a generation to see the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ come, what did the most powerful government in the world begin to do? Kill babies. There is no separation. Abortion is a sign that the generation that is here to see the return of Christ is alive today because it has been attacked by the death of children. Oh, hang on. So now... Babies have been killed. Levi, uh, 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 a man of the house of Levi, uh, gave, conceived a son. They named him Moses. He was saved in the bulrushes. He grows up in Pharaoh's palace. He gets educated. Then he kills a man. Runs to the backside of the desert and hides. Verse 22 of chapter 2 happened in the process that the king died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. And they cried out and their cry came, cry came up God because of the bondage. Came a time and the church 
for re recalling them. Let's look at who we church begin to cry. We can't keep doing this. We can't just keep doing what we've always done. We need a deliverance. We need a power. We need an outpouring. We need a blessing. We need somebody to deliver us. We need hope. Does that not sound like the church of the modern age? We just want God. We just want the power. We need God to show us who he is. Then I want you to look at verse 24. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25 says this, and God looked upon the children of Israel. From that verse, you go into chapter 3, all of a sudden a burning bush appears on the side of the mountain. Moses called at 80 years old. Children of God. Can I tell you something? When God remembers, our deliverance. And God remembered. I didn't promise you. I promise you. I didn't promise you. I can't. I didn't promise you to be happy where you're at. I promise you to be happy where your forefathers were. Some of us think that the only way we can be happy in the modern age, God has said, that's not what I promised you. I promised you the outpouring that came in the upper room. I promise you the outpouring that came in the mountains of Tennessee. I promise you the power of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to settle for a cheap imitation. You don't have to settle for. You don't have to settle for lights and smoke and mirrors. I promise you the real thing. Quit trying to find me in every new fad. Quit trying to find me in every newfangled idea. And understand I never promised you Egypt. I promise you the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I promise you the promised land. I promise you Canaan. I promise you a place that is yours and yours alone. All you got to do is trust me. I have remembered you. Now all you need to do is remember me. God remember. I believe with all of my heart that it's not too far from me. That the Father is going to look at me. Gabriel, blow the trumpet and all the bride to the wedding feast because I have remembered my promise. I have remembered my promise. When I was about 16 years old, God gave me, I can remember where God gave me a
and, and, and the narrative of this story talks about a young man who had been raised in the church. He went to church on a regular basis. He knew all the songs. He worked in the church, part of it. One day, he came home from work, and as he walked in, well, food burning. He ran in, turned the burner off. He started calling his wife. No answer. He ran upstairs and still playing in the baby's room. He began to wonder. What had happened, maybe something had happened to her mother and she had grabbed the baby and went to her mother's house. You got to understand when this was given to me, it was before cell phone call. He went out and jumped in the car and began to drive across town to where his wife's mother lived. But as he did, the traffic was horrendous. There were a number of wrecks. He looked up over the horizon and there was smoke rising. Buildings. Turned on the radio, hear mass chaos. Plane crashes, car wreck. About that time, he turned a corner. Two blocks from his mother-in-law's house, there on the right, cemetery. And as he turned the corner, he got in the cemetery, noticed almost half the graves in the cemetery were. This young man who had been raised in church immediately knew what was going on. He slid his car to a stop, threw it in park, jumped out on the side of the road in front of that cemetery and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Answered. I'll talk about what happens. Question. Can, can you hang on? A few more months. Forgive my. The waters prevailed on the earth 100 The waters decreased continually. Second month on the twentieth day of the month, 
earth. What he's Remember him. And God is also saying him from lived on. It didn't look the same. He had to hold on. He had to remember what God had done. When Rachel conceived nine months before there was a baby. In 17 years, that baby began to have dreams that made everybody think he was crazy. Then he was gone. She never saw him in the palace. You may not see the end of your dream. Don't forget that he remembered. When the children of Israel cried out in Egypt, said, I've remembered. Heard your cry and I've remembered my covenant. I gave, I've given you Canaan. Not a one of them save, save uh, uh, Caleb and, and Joshua would ever see the promise including Moses. But the promise was still there. The remembrance was still there. I question to you today. I know for a fact he remembers you. But do you remember him? Are you still holding on? Still holding on to his unchanging? That's all it takes. This morning is your day to walk in the celebration that he remembers me. My relief is coming. My promise is going to be fulfilled. The future is on its way. The deliverance is at hand. He's remembered me, and I will not forget. Let's bow our heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now, and we thank you for your power. We thank you for your anointing, for your peace, for your mercy, and for your grace. Lord, let the heavens be filled with your glory. For I know you have remembered us. Lord, today, we walk remembering you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Be back tonight for our district rally, uh, 6 o'clock, and I'm looking for a great service tonight. I need some help. If somebody, if some people are willing to help me out, um, every time we've went to a district rally at the other churches, they always have some food. And, uh, and so I was thinking if I went and bought some hot dogs, could we get some people to bring some buns and some things like that, and we'll just have a little hot dog feast after, after service tonight. And so I'll go pick up some hot dogs if I can get some people to volunteer to help me heat them up.
And if I can get some some kitchen people to help me out, Wanda, if you can help me round up some people. Uh, if you'd be willing to bring some chips and some buns and some things like that, please get with Wanda right after church and some drinks. Uh, we need people to bring all of those things. So so Wanda, sort of camp out right there and let them come to you. And uh, uh, and don't make her come looking. Don't make her call you. Uh, I expect to see a big crowd of people right over here around Wanda uh, with, with uh, being willing to help. Thank you so much for the last-minute help on that. We'll have some great hot dogs after church tonight. See you tonight, 6 o'clock. Shake hands, be friendly. Tell somebody you love them. Everybody, God loves them. You're dismissed.